Welcome everybody to issue 16 of Graphic Readers. My name is Gareth Case and I am joined by a dynamic duo who are 100 miles away but still close to my heart. Chris the leader and Billy Lowe. So welcome everybody. Hopefully you can hear all three of us uh, clear and well. We're trying this from Skype for the first time, hence the reference in the intro. Um, this month, this issue, issue 16, we are doing uh, Watchmen, uh, the seminal book by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Um, before we get onto any of that, want to remind you all to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter slash Graphic Wieners, on Facebook slash Graphic Wieners, and you know, engage, tell your friends, give us some five star reviews, do it all, get us big. Um, so, as we move on, so some of you, some of you, some of you that follow us on Twitter will know that uh, one of us had an accident. And that was the reason for a bit of a delay. So, yes, uh, unfortunately, Leader has ha had another bike crash. Um, a different one since the last time we met. So I think what's really, which I'm sure what everybody wants to hear is how you're doing, Leader, and what happened. So I'm okay. Thank you. I'm still alive, which is really cool. Uh, and I also just want to say that this podcast gives a really bad impression of my bicycling skills because they are they are really really good but uh the last two months have kind of said that that isn't the case but yes i was cycling to work 23 days ago uh, on a cycle super highway in london which is a bike lane going through a green light and unfortunately an 81 year old man didn't see the red light and t-boned me as they say which caused me to smash his windscreen and careen over the top of his car and land in the middle of the road uh, a lot of the witnesses were amazed that I wasn't dead so that's pretty cool and I was pretty amazed at the damage I did to his car so I thought I was quite a skinny guy but man I absolutely fucked all over his windscreen <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm still here. I, I have three stitches in my knee at the moment, and I'm on a crutch, and I haven't ridden a bike for ages, and I can't even practice skateboarding. But you know, I had a shave today, which is the first time I've done that for a month. So that's good. Uh, but yeah, not as fun as the Berlin face-melting crash that I had last time. This one was quite serious, and like, I thought I was going to die, but I didn't. And I've eaten lots of pizza since, and life is good. Did, um, I mean, I assume like an ambulance was called. Yeah, the ambulance and the popo came. Uh, they, were, they were very nice. They were, they were great, as were all of the witnesses and bystanders who rushed to my aid while I was on the floor. Um, yeah, uh, in a weird way, being ran over by someone who made a, an error or wasn't very forthcoming with admitting his error. His 
problems were outweighed by the lovely, lovely people who helped me out in my time of need. So yeah, the world is alright-ish. Still, sounds pretty, uh, that sounds quite horrific really hearing you talk about it. <laughs> like, it's not fun. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I should have tried to make it more fun. No, I, I mean, so to be fair, it's not fun though, is it? Like, that shit. No, it is pretty shit. <laughs> Yeah, so this is like the first time for everybody here, and this is really the first time I've heard about it. Knew about it, but first real time I've heard about it. How, how, like, how are you feeling in general? Like, are you, I mean, are you still in pain or? No, not not in pain as much anymore. I was uh, for quite a while, but then I painkillers are so great. They were really fun, but I had to stop taking them because I got a little bit carried away the whole painkiller thing. But now I'm alright. I went back to work as of Monday, and I can't tell you how nice it is just to be out of the house mm. talking to people. That's fun. Yeah. Like, so yeah, it's alright. We we went to post pictures this time because they are really gory. I showed Bill before, and he looked like he was going to be sick. So we're, we're trying to avoid that. Yeah, I've only seen the car, so I'll post the picture of the car. Um, the mutual friends mentioned that he had seen more gory pictures and uh yeah i don't think i'd be keen on seeing those either to be honest I'm not, I'm not one for that kind of look i'm pretty good at gore um but th so the knee is bad but the subsequent hospital trips i've had to make there were some times when the gore was even quite a lot for me when they had to drain my knee mm. and reopen the wound and then restitch it that's why i've got more stitches in my knee because last or sorry two weeks ago i had to have the wound reopened to the hematoma to be drained again that was gross man if you like jam i'm gonna ruin it for you it looked like someone had emptied a jar of jam out of my knee <laughs> it was gross sorry jam fans um all right so how are you bill Uh, I'm alright, thank you. Yep, got a, bit, got a bit of a cold, but um, other than that, I'm I'm tip top. Cool. I've not been up to much. I've watched um, a bit of the Defenders. All right, yeah, I've done that. Uh, yeah, I've done all that. Like six, seven episodes, something like that. I've not finished it. Um, I think it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> like, like just, just like funny, but and so I've watched it. But um, I've taken to watching an episode when I work from home in my lunch break. Okay. Um, it's the only time I seem to be able to find time to do it or to justify the time. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I think it's. I think the, the, it's like way. I don't know if it's like. I think it's really like poorly acted. It just feels really amateur. So I quite enjoyed the first two episodes. I want to say, and I think that was before they all kind of got together. And it was like as soon as they all the four of them got together. I then at that point found it a bit, yeah, a bit cheesy, I think. It was all right. I did it, I, I, I watched it all in the space of a weekend, really, because I think it's only, I want to say it's only eight episodes, so it's a pretty quick watch, and I, oh, okay. I wasn't doing much that weekend, I think, so yeah, I um, ended up doing it. it, yeah, it was all right. I mean, forgettable. All of Jessica James's lines are essentially, um, oh my God, shut up about the team thing. That's like basically our whole deal in the, in the yeah. entire series, just, oh my God, don't mention team again. It's like... Yeah, we're past that now. Like you've done that bit. We know you. We know you're all gonna like fight together. It's cool. But like, as every time they can kind of just like 
throw that in like, oh man, not another reference to team, I'm not on the team. It's like, they're really, it's real lazy. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, it's funny in there, I suppose. It's just like, you know what you can, um, you also know what you can start to watch from, from Monday on your lunch breaks. The, uh, the new Star Trek series, because that's released Monday, so. But that is one episode a week, I think. I'm holding out for the new, this won't be a lunch break watch, this will be a full on prime time evening watch, the new Stranger Things series. Uh, fair enough. When's that out? Like, October time. So. Stranger Things, I watched the first four episodes and thought it was amazing, and then just never watched it anymore. So why? Did I just? I can relate to that. How'd you feel? I watched the first two feel? episodes. Similar thing. Watched the first two episodes. Thought it was good. Never went back. Ditched it. I've done that with quite a lot of TV series, though. To be fair, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. All your favourite shows. All your favourite shows. Two episodes. Call it a day, <laughs> just in case. Just in case it goes down. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. Can I just say that I love being part of this team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we're not a team. Don't say anything about being in a team. You know. You know. We're like ten episodes in. Or editions issues. Um, other than that, there's been a real. I, I read a comic book uh, called Hostage by Guy Delal, who I think is famous for. Like, has written loads of. Oh, he wrote a book called Jerusalem as well, which is really good. He's, I think, he's a French graphic novelist, um, artist, and he and does the writing. Um, and that was really cool. Um, about this guy who's working for an NGO, I think near like Chechnya. Um, and uh, he was kidnapped um, and managed to kind of escape. Really, 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 really nice graphic novel, beautifully drawn, and um, I highly recommend. Um, other than that, I've I've struggled to get around to graphic novels. I'm reading Infinite Jest at the moment, which is taking out most of my time. I'm about 900 pages deep in that, um, and it's consuming all of my energy and time. To make sure, even though it's really, really amazing. Um, it's just it's just long. So talking of graphic novels I've recently read, I read Moonhead and the Music Machine by Andrew Ray, which was a lovely, whimsical little book about growing up and music and fitting in, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Short read, beautiful artwork, highly recommend it. Reminded me a bit of Tom Gould. But yeah, I really liked it. I was um quick flick through it now and it does look lovely. And I'd like to read this. I was um, great. just on stuff like that. I was Orange thinking, one. I was actually thinking, like, as reading The Watchman, which is quite a, well, it's quite a dense book, I guess. I was actually thinking it would be nice to do something a bit more lighter next. Oh, let's do it. I like the book. It looks great. Cool. Head and the music machine for the next episode. Do you want to, um, before we launch into the, the book, Gareth, have you got anything you want to say? And also, um, do you want to say anything about the Watchmen movie before we launch into the uh, the real deal? So, um, I've never seen the Watchmen movie, so other than the fact it was directed by Zack Snyder and all of his DC movies are shite, I've got nothing to say about that. Um, anything else I would want to say? Uh, well, f for me personally, I've moved flats and I absolutely love my new flat. 
best decision that's ever happened, I think, moving into a nice little studio. Um, so, a little, a little bonus of using Skype is that we can see your new flat, and I see a little, a little cheeky home fitness machine there. Oh yeah, Pro Fitness, yeah, that's me, yeah. 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 You're looking fucking hench, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've been using that. Yeah, you, well, you, well, you know, leader, I've been using that for uh, about about a year now. So you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, stacked. Oh, that is. You are stacked. Yeah. I guess the camera adds a little bit extra, doesn't it? <laughs> the extra ten pounds, so you are looking a bit a little bit more muscly. Oh, cheers, guys. Um, is there anything you want to say about the film? So, I have seen the Watchmen movie, and. I know why Alan Moore criticises. Um, I think that's because he's just a bit bitter about the deals he got with DC and things like that, which is understandable. But with regards to the Watchmen movie, it is exactly the same as the book up until the ending, which is a bit different because it's quite hard to do that ending in a film. But as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty much panel for panel exactly the same, which I can't work out if that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah, it's one of those examples where um, people say like staying true to the comic isn't a good idea. Normally, like comic book films get criticised because they don't stay true to the comic, and then when stunt one does stay like really, really faithful to it, um, it kind of gets panned for not being a good movie. So, so, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, really, unless you just make you manage to like make a good film. So, um, I, yeah, like I, I don't mind. Really I don't really mind it from what I remember. I think it's long, isn't it? Like the director's got like four hours long. So. Again, I just don't think Zack Snyder can like, compress everything into just a good movie. It's all like, it's all a bit bloated. I do think, though, that with something like The Watchmen, which is clearly a standalone story which they're recreating, at that point, you're, you know, you, you more have to stay true to the comic. So I think it's different. So I think, I think you can't view something like The Watchmen in the same way that you would view like a Spider-Man or a Batman film because of the fact that The Watchmen is already a standalone story. It's no different than the adaptations of any other novel whether that be sort of harry potter or lord of the rings or you know anything else that you can think of so yeah i kind of so in terms terms of maybe staying true to the book i would say in this instance you would be more inclined to maybe want to do that maybe not so much with it being panel by panel i mean i haven't seen that as i said but with leader saying that the end a lot of it seems like it's the same to the panel Maybe maybe not so much that, because you almost feel like you're just sort of s- stealing Dave Gibbons' vision for the story. Whereas, yeah, I would say... Um, but in terms of the actual story itself, up until the very ending, which I have heard before that the ending is completely... or, like, is different, then, um, then yeah, I think, I think you've got to stay a bit true to the story. It's not that that makes it bad that it stays true to the, the comic graphic novel whatever we're trying to justify it as by calling it a different name uh, it's just that I don't see why they needed to make it into a film because I've read well maybe everyone hasn't read the book but it, it's one of those ones where I thought well I've, this was apart from changing the ending because you can't have a giant like weird floating animal descend on New York uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing to to try and portray. So yeah, I'm I'm not sure that the film needed to be made, but it was. I, I imagine it needed to be made to make loads and loads of money. So it probably did that. 
I can see myself probably watching it soon. Like, it's just the, like one of the most like we'll talk about the book more like in a bit, but I mean it is a commercial success. It's been a kind of cult favourite, so um, it's, it's sad that these things are inevitable. But um, it's naive to think that something like this wouldn't be made into a film. Um, I read this uh, really nice like Q and A with Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. I think it was, was from like not long after the book was released and. Um, I'm pretty sure there's like a part in it where Alan hey, he said like, oh yeah, you know, like after a year or so, after it doesn't sell like that, that many, <laughs> and it never like, it never was like poor enough that um, they got the rights back, so they just like they just stayed with DC for forever. I mean, it's quite it's quite funny to like hear his original optimism at that. So what I think you just said, Bill, is that. Alan Moore was expecting it to sell bad and if it didn't sell at a certain point threshold they would the, the, the rights would revert back to them but because it sold quite well the, the rights stay with DC I think so yeah, yeah. I know that there, there's like some rights thing that like I can't, can't like remember sales or I think it has to like yeah drop up to a certain amount of sales per year or something like that um, again I'm not like, completely clued up on it but it, there's some way that if the book doesn't do as well as it like always does every year um those guys get the, the rights to the book um, and then they can like block this stuff but it's just such a hit that it just never it just constantly sells and it's just a major success so mm. um, you know that never that never materialised and it's just I don't know it's just funny like hearing the optimist it's kind of odd just yeah, like, hearing some opt. Okay, so we'll leave it there then for the intro. Um, but join us next when we'll start moving on to the book. And what we'll do is that we'll go to Bill and he'll give us the intro and, and the background on the story as always. Welcome back, everybody, to part two, where, as always, I'm going to pass you to Bill and he is going to give you an intro to this month's book. Okay, cool. Thanks, Gareth. Um... So, uh, as we previously said, uh, we're reading Watchmen this month. Um, we decided to read a classic graphic novel, um, and I think uh, Watchmen is very widely regarded as being sort of most well-known graphic novel, anyway, um, of the genre. Um, so it was originally released in September 1986. It's a 12-run issue, um, finishing in October, um, but then was collected in 1987 um, as a trade paperback, um, which I think is how most people have read this book. Um, since then, it's had around 24 printings. Um, that was March 2017. Um, it kind of came out in the same year, well, it did come out in the same year as uh, Mouse and um, Dark Knight Returns. Um, so, Art Spiegelman and Mark Miller, Frank Miller, sorry, Frank Miller's um, seminal Batman story. Um, so, big year for comic books. I think that's why it kind of gets the whole uh, when comic books grew up sort of tag, even though it was sounds like nonsense um so it was written by alan moore um as most people know um and the artist was dave gibbons and the colorist was john higgins um he maybe doesn't get as much um notoriety as alan moore and dave gibbons but um, he does an excellent job as well um so as you will probably know um watchman can um, be considered a commercial success um it's received critical acclaim both in comics and mainstream press um, it's considered by many critics and readers to be a significant work of 20th century literature. Um, it was included in Time's list of 100 best novels. Um, and it placed 91 on the Comics Journal's list of top 100 comics of the 20th century. 
um, which kind of seems a bit low, but anyway. Did you say 91? Uh, and uh, 91, yeah. Wow. Anyway, sorry. I mean, but those guys are a bit snooty, maybe, so it's probably like a bit too, too mainstream, maybe. But right. I mean, I read them a lot, so trust them. Um, and uh, the BBC, Auntie Beeb, uh, in the Big British Castle, described Watchmen as the moment comics grew up. There it is again. Um, like I said, I think that's um, absolute garbage, but whatever. Um, so it starts out with a fairly routine investigation into the death of a retired superhero and slash hired gun, um, but quickly turns into a far-reaching, mind-bending romp into the past and present actions of a group of superheroes, um, albeit only one of the group um, actually has superpowers, um, and the group's called the Watchmen. Throughout the book, each hero is forced to revisit and confront their inadequacies as defenders and protectors of humanity. In the end, this group of do-gooders is forced to make the ultimate compromise, sacrifice their hero status for the benefit of mankind as a whole. That's it. Cool. Thank you very much, Bill. Great intro as always. Um, so join us in the next part then when we're going to be going into a bit oh, more detail. Oh, wants to say something. Oh, go on, yeah, I just, on, on this list, well, this featured number 91, yeah. what, what the hell was the, 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 the higher 90? I don't know. Um, let's look that up. Yeah, what was the list called, Bill? I want to look this up. Uh, so it's Times list of 100. Oh no, hang on. The Comic Journal's uh, list of. Let me have a look at that. I'm not going to look anything up because everyone's worried that I'm going to break Skype. So I'm just. Gonna uh, so I mean, this is in. This is in. Comic uh, Journal top 100. I'm going to assume. Their Wikipedia page. Yeah. Uh, Top 100 comics of the 20, 20th century, yeah? Yeah, the link doesn't actually take me to it. The journal's top 100 comics list number four. Oh, here we go. Um, I'm on it. So number one, do you want to know what number one is? Let me guess, let me guess. All right. <coughs> Mouse? No. Mouse. Is it also by Alan Moore? Not as far as I'm aware. Is it uh, the One Hundred Nights of Hero by Isabel Greenberg, friend of the podcast? <laughs> it's not. It should be though. Should be. It's a fucking screamer. Go on, put us out of our misery. Crazy Cat. Both oh, with a K. Number I think the key to it is the whole like of the twentieth century. So I think there's going to be like a bunch of like like calm like newspaper strip. Yeah, well, Peanuts is number two. Like, whereas we're just imagining like the best trade paperbacks. Yeah. Um, so I'll just quickly, anyway. I'll very quickly just run through the top ten. So one is Crazy Cat, but both spelt with a K. Two is Peanuts. Three is Pogo. Four is Mouse. Five is Little Nemo in Slumberland. Six is Feather and six 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 Jules Feather. Uh, seven is Carl Barks Donald Duck Comics. Eight is Mad Magazine, Harvey Kirksman era. Nine is Binky Brown meets the Holy Virgin Mary, and ten is the Weirdo Era stories. Robert Crumb. I've done Peanuts and Mouse. I've not heard of any of those. Those pe I would say though, I've actually read quite a lot of those Peanut strips. They actually are pretty good. I do quite like those. I have considered suggesting for Wieners at one point, but. I don't know the the, the complete yeah. the complete book is like pretty thick. 
and even though all the, the actual it's individual strips are quite small, but yeah. Anyway, cool. All right. Well, anyway, thanks, Bill. And uh, yeah, so join us then for the next part, as I've already mentioned, where we're going to go into the book in a little bit more detail. And yeah, see you then. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, so this is obviously for those that are new to this podcast. This is where we go into the detail in a little, uh, This is where we go into the book in more detail. Um, so what? So the first thing that we're going to actually talk about uh, with this with this particular book, The Watchman, is well, actually, the first thing we're going to talk about is that we've noticed that all three of us have different covers. Um, so that goes to an interesting, well, the point that Bill made actually in his intro about how this book has been uh, printed 24 times or pressed 24 times. So both myself, Bill and Leader appear to have different um, printings of the book, which is... Uh, yeah, presumably we all bought this book around a similar sort of time, like within a five-year period. Yeah. Max, but um, yeah, I mean, it certainly points to um, how much they push it so I think I've I had actually, uh, oh sorry. Okay, got, I was just say I think I've had my copy for about four years. No idea of mine. And Long I borrowed and I borrowed it off you, Leader, before I bought it. Yes, so I have had mine for about five, six years. And I remember when I first bought it I was so blown away by it. I bought a copy for my ex-girlfriend and got it sent to her house as a Christmas present because we're still good friends and I also bought a copy for my mum and got that delivered to, to her too and when I was back in Jersey uh, after cycling in France uh, uh, in the summer earlier this year I read that copy because she had never opened it <laughs> Mine is the uh, Mine ain't vintage um, which actually has a DC on the side. Mine's got um, a DC on the side as well. Some get vertigo, don't they? Or what have you got, Leo? Mine says Titan Books. Titan Books, that's it. Yeah, some, sometimes you get Titan. And a few other little, little you know, different ones as well. Yeah. Um, do we know where that is? Just out of interest. So yeah. I don't know why Titan. I'm not sure Titan. You both no, DC. DC. No, cause I, I've got DC at the top and then DC on the side as well. Mine doesn't say DC anywhere version. logo wise on it. What's your what's your um this is probably something we don't what's your ISBN number? ISBN uh, ten. No no, so every book has an ISBN number. So if you search on Amazon yeah. just for that number it will it, it will bring up that copy of the book. Okay. So every, every oh, yeah, I've got mine, yeah. yeah. So I've mine Have you got yours leader? So my one, I'll read you just my one. Mine's nine seven eight one four zero one two four eight one nine two. Okay, mine's exactly the same as yours, except the final five digits. Mine is two two six six six. I've got two ISBN numbers. <laughs> I've got ISBN Your copy's dodgy. Your copy's dodgy. ISBN thirteen. So, <laughs> we've established that your copy's a bit. Dodgy. It's like you've got your DC sellout missing, copy. <laughs> missing a couple of chapters. That'd be over, son. Leader's just read a completely, completely different story, probably. Anyway, on to the book. 
So we're going to discuss the plot. So my first question to you guys is, did you find, so for you, did you find this story engaging? Was it interesting? You know, what gripped you about it? If you did, what, what didn't you like about it? If not? Um, this is my third or fourth read through. Um, I did I, kind of annoyingly, um, I finished this book a couple of weeks ago. Um, and since then, not quite as fresh in my mind what i've done is like fold a bunch of corners of pages and they all seem to be the pages that are just not the not like comic book you know, so like at the in within each issue there's like a couple of pages like extracts from like one of the characters memoir or uh, a newspaper article or something like that and i've just like folded corners of all of those and like it's, got, it's just a bunch of text so i've absolutely no idea why i did that <laughs> um, but obviously i really liked them two weeks ago um and thought that it was really interesting to do that um, so um, obviously expectations for reading Watchmen are ridiculously high um, and it certainly uh, for me meets uh, all my expectations um, I absolutely love this book it's it's like it's kind of it's, it's kind of a face value it's just really really enjoyable and it's just a blast to kind of just read through it and um, enjoy the artwork and colouring the, the dialogue's really, really well done um, the kind of rigid structure and stuff. Everything just everything's just kind of perfect, really. Just to, just to, just to have a quick run through, um, and then it, when you kind of like really start to think about the book and get into more detail with it, which people more qualified than me have about that. But um, just from my opinion, um, even like now, it just reflects so much that um, I find interesting um, about the world today, um, and it's like it could have been written. Um, and set in uh, 2017 and I would not find it kind of irrelevant um, it's got obviously like quite a like big Cold War um, sort of lean um, and obviously like not like anything like although actually like North Korean stuff like the fear of bombs flying overhead is, is maybe a bit more um, relevant today than it was maybe like five years ago but even so reading through it I felt like Alan Moore was kind of looking into the future and kind of predicting a bunch of stuff which is happening now so um, it's really really interesting from that point of view as well I mean yeah I mean to go on Lee, no, go on Lee, you go, go. No, 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 no 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 honestly sure? you go because I was going to ask another question but you go oh no I just I, I, I pretty much want to echo Bill's sentiments there it is this is the fourth maybe fifth time I've read it and it is ridiculously good the, the more I read it, the more I notice the most minute things. The things that I could go on here and be like, if you went to page 400, or obviously it's not 400 pages, but went to X page and went to this panel, and you look in the very corner of the panel, and you look at the sequencing of the panels, like it, it gives you something new every single time you read it. And as Bill said, it's as current now as it was in the 80s. If anything, it's more current at the moment, given the state of uh, the, the Earth and the situation it's in uh, it, it is I mean I can't believe 91 on the list it is like the, in my opinion my, my favourite graphic novel I remember first reading it I wasn't really sure what expectations I should have I just knew it was, it was apparently amazing and it surpassed those expectations and, and further reading it continues to surpass those expectations it is such a complete body of work and I didn't realise until Bill said it that it was 1986 uh, and 
to still stand up as relevant at this point in time some 30 plus years later is just a testament to the quality of the the writing but also the artwork the artwork is amazing the paneling is superb the way essentially Dave Gibbons has taken what is maybe a, a panoramic view but then split that into panels and how that moves you across the page I've never really seen anything like that that since I'm, I'm not sure maybe in, in sort of Frank Miller Daredevil runs it was similar but it is it's just a mind-blowing book uh, and it was it was Bill's brother Chris pointed out to me I think the exact midway of this book is an exact mirror I can't remember what page it was I was just trying to look for it there but I'm sure when you get to halfway in the in the book or the story I, I think it's when Agent Vite is being shot all the panels reflect exactly and that is the exact midway of the book and then all the panels are the same folding outwards from there that was just something that Chris's uh, sorry Bill's brother Chris told me so that might be completely wrong but I'm pretty sure that is the exact middle point and both both sides of the page reflect the exact same panelling and it just continues on which is just amazing like uh, yeah it's superb I didn't know that I didn't I didn't, I didn't pick that up um so for me, this was the first time I've read this book. Symmetry, sorry, Gareth, just to interrupt you there, but um, Leader's point about symmetry is is like is important. Like l- the book has like tons of symmetry in it. Like chapter, I think it's chapter four, um, which is when um, Doctor Manhattan is uh, on Mars and he's kind of looking back on his past. There's symmetry all like throughout that one chapter, and then I think for every single issue, the cover is the first and last panel. Yeah. Um, so um, just some like really obvious kind of surface stuff there, um, but yeah, it, the, the, the symmetry throughout the book and the way that, that, that they've given threads that in is amazing. Uh, and there are bits as well when you can see it just in the background of panels, just like normal sized panels, not key panels in the book. But I, I, the first one that pops in my head is when you can see there's a conversation between the news vendor and maybe someone who comes to his newsstand, who's obviously quite a key component in the book and there's times when you can just see Rorschach not in his costume or out of his costume depending on you know how, how you how you view his character and he's just going in the bin and like picking out his post because you know he always tells people to deposit in the bin and sometimes you can just see him approaching the bin with his the end is nigh sign rooting in the bin and then leaving again in the back of in the back of the panels which is just blows my mind and that was only something I realised this time and this is the, like I say the fourth or fifth time I've read it yeah that's something that I just noticed myself actually I didn't realise that so for those listening it's on page 79 of the graphic novel or page 3 of chapter 3 and of course this is before we see Roy Sharks without his mask so at this point reading the story I wouldn't have because it's the first time I've read it I wouldn't have known what he looks like and it's um, that's actually a really yeah that's pretty cool I didn't realise that I actually, um, I was on the Wikipedia page earlier, just reading about it, and apparently there was little things that Dave Gibbon did, according to Wikipedia anyway, throughout this book, with like little things he put in the background, which supposedly Alan Moore didn't didn't even notice until like way after the fact. Um, yeah, just um, wanted to just like flag a page that Leader mentioned, um, where you kind of get a sort of panoramic 
uh, view across the page of kind of like wide angle shot of um, all of the Watchmen um, kind of back in the day before um, things really got kind of bad for them. Um, page 10, chapter 2, um, which is a lovely example of just this like single shot, um, wide angle shot that's split up in I don't know, like, it, to me it's like the best example of what Lee was talking about. Mm. It's something that you could just maybe like, it's really like clear, but when you're reading the page, if you're reading it quickly, it might just pass you by. Um, but from the perspective of um, the artist trying to sort of create a sense of time and rhythm, and like a beat to how you read the comic, it's really effective. Like, um, and it, so it's not just, it's not just the, it's not just the structure of the pages, which is which is interesting with Watchmen. It's kind of how they're sort of filled as well. That sounds really obvious, but um, there's so many different techniques used to fill the pages and join each panel to the previous panel and the upcoming panel that um, is constantly pulling you in different directions and setting the pace of how you read. And um, as a foil for um, Alan Moore's writing, it's it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, and it and it all you kind of have to have all of that together in order to enjoy this book. Um, as fully as you as you kind of should and, and will do. So my my favourite example of that is uh, in chapter eight on pages four and five with with the the really big like tall uh, tall is the wrong word like vertical panels as it like really dissects those two pages. That that was the bit that stood out to me and like really confirmed how great that effect is. It, I don't know. Every, every reading, Gareth, and I imagine you, you may read this again. I hope you will. Uh, it just keeps on giving. Like you spot those little things in the background. You spot how the panels are set out. It it is just it's crazy how how good this book is it, with all of that detail. There's so much detail in in everything, and you're and you're not really sure about it. Yeah, the chapter eight panel five is a, is a really good example because it's slightly different, and actually the chapter eight page four uses something really similar again the symmetry across the two yeah. pages um in this one the the characters aren't static they're actually moving the characters are moving through a sort of static scene which again sounds really obvious because um, you know objects don't just move through space um kind of on their own but the people do um and again it's just really really simple but it's it's really wonderful when you're reading it oh it's mind-blowing that bit yeah, I mean, from, from my point of view, I think the structure is really good. I think, and I think we're going to come on to a, a bit more of the structure in, in a moment. But just from my point of view, from the plot, you know, so for me, I've actually had this book for a while. And in some ways, a big reason why I picked it for Wieners is actually, one, because it is this big seminal story. And I thought it would be a really good way to in, try and engage new listeners and to try and get people to jump on board with us by reading such a big story. But also, it was almost to, to actually force my hand to actually sit down and finally read this book. Can't give you any reason why I've not sat down and actually read this book. I think I've tried to a few times, but I just, I don't know, it, it, it just hasn't happened for me. So, so now being sort of forced, I mean, forced is probably the wrong word to use, but being sort of uh, having a requirement to read it for for the podcast, there was certain moments when... I was really engaged and I really, really liked it. And there was certainly, I think, during some of the more early chapters, I I really, really liked it. But then frustratingly for me personally is that I then ended up 
having to move house like midway through all of it so i almost like lost my rhythm a little bit so i've only i only actually finished it last night um having said all of that though i did really really enjoy it to totally get why it's such a massive such a massive book um and i think really just to kind of echo what both of you have said i i think as you read it you can't help but notice the um the parallels as, as i know you've already both mentioned between now and then and it's um yeah it's pretty it's it's pretty i mean i mean as a leader you said you know it's a comment on how good the writing is i don't know if that's to look at it as a slightly different angle i don't know if that's actually a comment on just how how far as a world we've not probably not moved in 32 years but um that's a good point isn't it yeah. like it can be you can sort of view animals as sort of clairvoyant and um you know being able to look into the future but actually maybe it's just a case that people don't really change or like um on a on a grand scale like that things don't change that much well you could say the same for the book 1984 by george orwell and how that has had a massive spike in in buying after donald trump got elected there was sort of that news yeah, I think in both of these books, and I guess there are similarities, um, they they tap into something which I think is universal, like will, will continually happen, um, uh, a kind of like a grand scale, like the human race. So um, the idea that sort of surveillance will increase, the idea that like um, hardline demagogues or fascists or like whatever you want to like call like a hard line like law and order politician um, is going to try and like um, hold on to power it's going to increase paranoia all these different things are kind of i think probably will repeat themselves um so it's, it's kind of easy to sort of you know make people out like they have a crystal ball but it's still it's still um a fantastic observation and just just because those things continually happen it's still different to be able to articulate them in fiction and have them constantly renew themselves. Um, it doesn't take anything away from the achievement, really. Did you um? So just sort of in terms of things again, just to do with the plot. I mean, did you find? You know, did you find? And in some ways, actually, I guess just more on the characters for you. Did did you find that you were able to actually um? I guess kind of feel a, a connection to the characters quite quick or. Were you, or, 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 you know, I guess what I'm trying to find out is, you know, did you automatically feel 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 engage, engaged with the characters? Because, I mean, obviously, um, each character at some point sort of gets their origin story, which is good, but we sort of don't get that straight away. So, you know, from, from, from my point of view, I actually think, I think actually this is a book which I will get way more out of reading a second time round because of the fact that because now I kind of know the characters I've already read that origin story so in that same way how leaders already mentioned you pick up on more stuff the more you read it I kind of I can only see this book being a book that will get better the more you read it but on the initial first read when I didn't really know too much of the characters I was a bit like you know it took me a while to really kind of feel that that kind of initial kind of uh yeah, yeah, I, you know, I keep, keep keep going back to the word connection. I can't think of else, but yeah, just that initial connection with them. And I don't know if that was. I mean, if you think back, it's different for you guys now because you read it. But if you know, when you think back to the first time you read it, was it 
Was that similar or were you just straight in? Um, it's interesting you say that, Gareth, about new characters because um, I think the, the, the book was originally planned to use um, a bunch of old characters that DC bought. Um, so um, that's quite fun to think of um, because obviously people would have... <laughs> Sorry, Liam, making me laugh. Um, people would have um, would have had an attachment to those characters if Alan Moore had done it how he originally intended. Um, I, just, just, just quickly, I would say that I, all I know is that my most recent reading of The Watchmen is my favourite reading. So I kind of can't really talk for what it was like the first time I read it, but certainly the last time I read it, um, I had no issues with like relating to the characters, like relating to them, like relating to them like Rorschach is not like I can't really. I can't really sort of relate to him, but or like Doctor Manhattan, um, or even Osmandy. Like there's there's certain characters which is difficult to kind of relate to because they're just operating in a different sort of spectrum, really, like sphere. Um, but I didn't have really, I like, I didn't have, have any difficulty in like jumping into the stream of like consciousness with them and like going along with them, understanding the story, understanding their motivations, um, and kind of enjoying them, telling me about what they're up to. So obviously, as Bill said, like I, I can't like associate or relate to the life of a, an adventurer as they're referred to. As much as I would love to just fuck off to Mars sometimes and have some alone time, I, I can't do that at the moment unless Elon Musk sorts out some decent, easy jet type flights. But what I did find really relatable for me, maybe was that the characters, as Bill said, were obviously meant to be based on DC superheroes. And I often find that I can relate to some of the characters because I can relate to the superheroes that I assume they maybe were meant to be. I mean, there's like Batman character sort of things. But along those lines, I, I, I relate to the characters that they maybe were alluded to or so who do you think to previously. so in your point of view who who which character relates to which dc character so who night owl i would say was batman that's uh, would, would you agree silver that i'm assuming obviously the oh sorry bill you, you no i don't know i just i i, I mean i like i kind of <laughs> a little bit i do find a little, i don't a little bit derivative to to do the comparison thing. I think oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I was comparing them, but I was yeah. saying when when I was reading reading it the first time, and as I go on, I'm, I I can sort of associate that character to other superheroes because they all oh. are old superheroes. Yeah, and I, and I, I think of, you know that's that's just yeah. giving. I imagine you know like uh, Night Owl. I say. I've already said like he kind of reminds me of Batman. I think you've you, you've actually like stumbled onto something in a way like, or maybe you, you kind of you know, been making like a really valid point, which is that. Come on, mate. Like it's a it's like a, a, a critique commentary on superheroes. Exactly um, no, but but like the idea that these like so I'm saying, I think I'm wrong actually in saying that like comparing this to other characters because these are kind of cut out comic book characters thrown together and I think that there's obviously like a clear reason for that um, in that you don't you don't want to spend any time thinking about like the originality of these characters because the intention of the characters is not like the characters themselves the intention is to make a comment on what it means to be a superhero like and and kind of um, 
go beyond um, what those the idea of a superhero has been up to that point. Um, so a complete reframing of the idea of hero um, within a sort of uh, dystopian world, which I guess is what like he did at the time. So the idea of those characters are like, oh, that's like Batman. Oh, that's like Superman. Oh, that's like Silver Surfer. Actually, is a really useful thing. All I want to say is that it takes a big person to admit when they're wrong, and that's great. But no, obviously that was just me being snarky. But no, that that that's how when when Gareth said about associating, obviously I can't associate with, you know, a superhero. But I just associated the characters with the superheroes that I had come into contact over my time on planet Earth, and I, I liked that, and I, I think it was a critique. Do you think the um? Do you think the story is sort of more? When you think of story, do you think of it as like it focuses more on the individual characters, or do you actually think it's more focused on the the themes of what's going on? So the potential of World War Three, of you know the fact that Doctor Manhattan's gone to Mars, so therefore the Russia's feeling like it's now more got more chance to conquer Afghanistan or. I think that's what it was. Or so. Well, well, they say that in the book that the I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of the the entire defense system the United States has put into place is Doctor Manhattan, mm. and then when he's gone, they don't they no longer have their their plan. Mm. So I don't think it's it's strange. I don't think the book is based. Uh, or like the plot isn't based around the characters. The characters are, are part of the narrative that moves the plot along. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it does though. I, I think so. I think that's really. I think that point actually is makes a lot of sense, and I completely agree with that. And later on, and I don't know if you want to do this now. This might be a good time to do it. I'm not too sure. We're g- I'll, I'm going to talk about a page which I think best sums up the book, and that kind of nicely... Your point then is almost why I picked the page that I picked. All right, let's do it. Let's segue. Yeah, do you want to do that? Yeah. So to so, so segue into that, so for me, the page that I picked, so a page that I feel best represents the book, for me, I, I, I was, was page uh, 305 in the graphic novel, or it was page 25 in chapter 9. And yeah, with me. Carry on. Yep. So this was, so in this page we've got um, what's her name? Like uh, this Silk Spectre. We've got her. Um, so she just realised that the comedian is a is a father after a consensual relationship with her mother, and obviously this is significant because previously we found out that the comedian had attempted to rape her mum, and um, yeah, just in this and. In in the page, the, uh, the 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 sort of big base or whatever it was on uh, on Mars, you know, it crumbles. And I think for me, what this kind of and that obviously ignited sort of Doctor Manhattan's interest back in humanity again, which was what made him come back to Earth. And I kind of feel like, and I kind of feel like, what's great about that panel and that sort of page really is that it sort of shows that. In some ways, even good people, so sort of superheroes, do bad things. So I think that's so that kind of drives the so that's a character driving the plot, which kind of drives because one of the big reasons why Doctor Manhattan's now in 
Mars because he doesn't feel like he's got any interest in in humanity at that point. Um, but like, and uh, but then also, I think at this point, but then also it's almost like that kind of um, sort of oh, keep keep forgetting her name. Um, sorry, the Silk Spectre. What kind of what makes her? Um, but it's interesting that at that point she's trying to make Doctor Manhattan's like see the good in humanity. But at that point she actually finds a reason to almost hate humanity and gets angry at it. And it's just quite interesting how like there's almost like an I I think like a I think an, I don't know if irony is the right word but maybe an irony in that how Doctor Manhattan doesn't care but then this kind of bad thing that um, that Silk Spectre's going through makes him then suddenly have an interest in humanity and and then all of a sudden you know Silk Spectre wants Doctor Manhattan to suddenly engage but it's this horrible thing for her that makes him engage in that and in some ways that to me just emphasizes that point you were just making there, leader where the characters I think. That's a that's a that's a character's that's something that's happening to the characters that's actually driving the plot. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you um, pick out chapter nine, I think, Gareth. Um, I think that is like the sort of big, big ticket chapter, really. Like, like Doctor Manhattan, like on Mars with his massive like glass castle. Um, there's a lot that happens in that chapter that um, ties a lot of the themes. At, um, together for the book but specifically for the characters and kind of leader's point that the characters are just vehicles for the overall um, themes of the, the book um, is really kind of present in that particular chapter um, and yeah that page is the page you, you picked out is fantastic and, and, and Dr. Manhattan is a really complex character anyway to kind of get your head around mm. he's the sort of he's kind of above the fray he's looking down on what humanity is doing and kind of making his judgment but he's, he seems like he's basing it on the economic world is somehow like um have a sort of structure and beauty to it um although i think like it's kind of mentioned like um yeah i think it's interesting gareth that you chose a page from chapter nine it kind of feels like a sort of like big ticket chapter of the whole book really um dr Manhattan like, on mars it's a big glass castle um the artwork's really really spectacular um and yeah a lot of the things in that chapter like tied together leader stuff about the characters being vehicles for the overall themes of the book um it's it's, it's interesting it's, it's it, i think it's like a good choice of pace to like sum up a lot of things that happen and what mm. the book's about um dr manhattan in that particular chapter is just really interesting because for the whole book he's kind of above the fray really looking down making his judgment as kind of um someone who's beyond the human experience at this point and just enjoys um the world from a sort of subatomic level um and the beauty of that there is a sort of symmetry, I think, in that chapter around the kind of randomness of like particles and um, like uh, quantum physics, I think, um, and the sort of randomness and interconnection of human beings. So, um, like the different connections between the Silk Spectre's life and how it's led her to this point mm. and led him to this point, probably more importantly for Dr. Manhattan. Um, I think he sort of sees some symmetry there between the subatomic world that he, he seems to enjoy even more. So, um, it's a good. It's, it's like it's a it's a good chapter. It's kind of what I'm saying. Did um basically anything that involves Doctor Manhattan on Mars is like mind-blowingly good. That that is my absolute highlight of this book. Anytime Doctor Manhattan is on Mars, I'm there. I'm with you. I'm like a sucker for space and the whole universe and all of that ridiculousness. Um, 
but anything that involves Dr. Manhattan on Mars is, is just perfect. And yeah, excellent choice of, of, of chapter. I mean, I could narrow it down with regards to, for, for me, the panel, just one panel that sums up this whole perfect, amazing book is the the panel, I think it's chapter chapter four, when Dr. Manhattan first goes to, to Mars. Uh, and it, it's just the panel where he says, all we ever see of stars are their old photographs. Uh, and that, that's my screensaver on my laptop. I've had that picture saved on my phone for about three years. I don't know why I find that so profound. Maybe it's because I, it, many, many years ago, was so into emo, that sort of thing, used to used to tick the boxes for me, but it still does. Uh, and it's just a beautiful sentiment, especially when he's on Mars. And he's talking about, previously, how long it takes light to reach Mars from a star or the sun. And it also makes perfect sense when he's looking back on his memories with his first girlfriend before he becomes Dr. Manhattan. And that that whole... That's also, the, uh, it's also the, cover, the cover for that um, chapter as well, the panel you showed. Picture of them at Coney Island. The sixth, yeah, the sixth panel on the first page of chapter... Oh, sorry, um, the ninth panel, chapter four. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason they use that panel, I think, for the cover of the, the chapter as well. So mm. um, he is way emo, isn't he, Dr. Manhattan? Like, he, he, he's just like a bit of a prick as well. <laughs> 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 like, I mean, like... One of the things you read about, like, obviously, like, this is, like, ev- we all like this book, I think. Like, I'm interested to hear Gareth's take just because you read it for the first time. Um, but, like, 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 let's think about, like, the it's a good point to launch into, like, why is this book maybe bad? Like, what's annoying about it? Like, Dogs Manhattan, maybe? Like, you need him in there. He's important. But, like, is it just a bit too earnest? And, like, it's all so serious and stuff. Like, does the book take itself too seriously? Is he a part of that? I, I disagree. I think Dr. Manhattan is the best character in this book because of his conflict between the fact that he sees the human race for what it is and what it's doing, and he's just like, at the end of the day, you're just particles. He doesn't know, does he? That's the thing. That's why like, that, but that's essentially what he wants to do. He but wants he to, but he can't. But he has tied because it's like this beautiful thing, and he, I think... He is trying to, or wants the, the human race to realise how precious what we have, or sorry, what is portrayed in this book, is, uh, and we we just take it for granted. I think that the problem is he's got a perspective that he, his perspective, um, I guess, is kind of made redundant because he's so he views the world at a subatomic level, so he has a role to judge the rest of humanity who can't view the world his way so he sees all of time but he knows that nobody else can and the judgment he makes against humanity it just isn't fair because they can't human beings are bad obviously like in the wider perspective of this book and there's a lot of damage that's caused by them but i don't really feel like he has a place to judge them um and i think actually like talking this through now maybe he's my least favorite character in the book um, in the end, he comes back and, like, he sort of, like, after hearing, like, one story about a person, obviously someone who he cares about, but by this point it's hard to know if he cares about anyone. Um, maybe apart from himself. Um, 
he hears this one story and decides that his entire perspective and reason for like almost causing World War Three was oh okay I'll come back because none of it really matters anyway because we're all just atoms and dust it just seems like he has one perspective but his failure to understand humanity having lived through human experience makes him a flawed character mm -hmm. I think but I think that is what makes him a great character yeah. because I'm not saying he's great. He's, he, I mean, I mean, he's just flawed. Um, he's not like people in the book. Uh, like the other character in the book, him as a sort of god, or like a deity, or something, because of his powers and stuff. But actually, he has no. Um, he can't relate to people anymore. So, not being able to relate to people removes any title like that from him. Do you see him as like the main character? Who do you see as the... If you had to pick a main character, would you see it as him? Rorschach, maybe? Rorschach I, yeah, I would probably say I Rorschach. I think you could pick a main character. Sorry, I don't know if, the, if me and Bill's... Book, I, I personally don't think I could pick a main character because they're, they're also integral mm. and often in the book. Rorschach, Night Owl, Dr. Manhattan, Man the comedian... The comedian to me, like, the, do you know what? Like, Doctor Manhattan works in the book because of the comedian. Like, yeah, well that's like the yin and yang, isn't I it? I know it's the point of. I know that that's the reason they're there, but again, it's another thing that, if like, without the comedian, Doctor Manhattan's just. It'd be tough to read him, I think. But I think that's why Doctor Man. Well, that's why they're both in there. But that's why they're there, yeah. Yeah, of course. And that's that's the balance within the book constantly. Each character is balanced by its counterpoint, and that, that's why it works so well. Like, I'm only really, like, sort of trashing Dr. Manhattan because I'm just trying to think of, like, that's the reason why people really like this book, and actually thinking about it, I do think he's just a bit of a dick. But, um, yeah. Do you want me to give my page, Gareth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, if you've got one. Before you go to your page, I just want to say after the page that you that you mentioned, Gareth, like, another like real great little subtlety or little nod is that the next page, it is uh, when they're on Mars and after the the big sand sculpture diamond glass thing that Doctor Manhattan makes, it leaves the smiley face on the crater of Mars, which is obviously a comedian reference. I just think that's yeah. pretty and that is a real crater, isn't it? Yeah, as well. Yeah. I can't remember what the crate is called, but, but um, they, they fly yeah. around and you talk about Olympus Mons, and yeah. I'm just like, one more, I, I just love you so much. All of the stuff on Mars is mind-blowing, makes me so happy to read over and over again. I could just read the Mars section of this book relentlessly. I'm, I, do you know what, like, I'm more reluctant to give praise for that sort of stuff, because if this book, like, the reason being, because this book is, is put in there with the greatest works of literature of the 20th century or whatever like that and if you read um, you know there's lots of books in that list that you read and that the research that goes into them is just like absolutely phenomenal so um, a bit of research on Mars I think is, is fantastic but for a book of this magnitude it's kind of par for the course maybe um, like it's still obviously absolutely amazing but it doesn't set it above maybe anything else what probably sets it above anything else is be able to put that across so concisely and um, so economically within a comic book um, typically within a novel you know you can have 
with the specific thing that they've researched. Um, whereas here, you know, he, he's getting that point across within just a couple of panels. So it is still really impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that side of the book is, is just a nice extra compared to actually like... But but who's saying that I'm talking about Alan Moore then, not, not the, the illustration? Oh, I think it's I think because the, the 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 dialogue and that stuff is like clearly drives the the illustration. And I know that Dave Gibbons like had some license, but um, from what I read, Alan Moore gives like really really yeah like again, he's I'm not taking film. anything away from 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 like Dave Gibbons. <laughs> I can't, but I, I you know I'm I'm pretty sure that like this is this is driven by Alan Moore. Oh, I was just ultimately meant to say I was advocate there because I know that the, I've I've heard that the the, the sort of scripts that Alan Moore gives are, are like film scripts. Like this is the cut, essentially, as if yeah. you were filming like a real. It movie. sounded like a nightmare, actually. Like paid reams and reams of like text and in, in like um, instructions and details and stuff without any like paragraphs or like punctuation or anything. It sounded like an absolute nightmare. I think I read somewhere Dave Gibbons said he had to like number the pages himself if he dropped them in the floor. I read that. Uh, yeah, I read that, and, no and he had to highlight stuff as well. I read that on. I read that today. I also believe that they, they went over that on an episode of when Batman and Batman potentially interviewed um, the Scottish guy Grant Morrison. Right. I believe that they, they touched on that and Grant Morrison, I, I might just, this is when Batman and Batman was just essentially about Batman writers. I believe that maybe Grant Morrison told a story about that, or maybe it was someone else, but that was, uh, that was discussed like apparently Alan Moore's notes on where the illustrations are drawn from, the angles, is is insane. It's just so good that, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing, but probably a nightmare as an illustrator. Mm. Yeah. All right, well, I think we should probably call it there for, the, for this part. Um, but join us in the next part when we're going to go into, where we're going to give our final scores and just our final conclusions on the book. So, yeah, we'll see you then. Welcome back, everybody, to the to the final and last part of um of issue sixteen of your favourite graphic novel podcast. Um, one thing that we uh just one thing that we forgot to do, which Bill did uh, actually reference in the last part, was just for him to give his his favourite page. So just before we give our final scores, and we're going to start with me for the final scores. I'm just going to quickly pass you to Bill, so he can just go over what his favourite page and panel is from uh, The Watchmen. Thanks, Gareth. Um, <laughs> that makes it sound really, really sweet, like I was just hanging on there. Um, mine is ridiculous as well, because um, I... I didn't... Like, like I said, I've got like a ton of folded corners. Um, um, yeah, because I've got like a ton of folded corners um, on this book. Um, so I've gone for chapter 10, page 20, which is your standard 3x3 three three grid. Um, that these guys favoured so much. And the reason I've chosen it is because I really love a good hacking password scene. Um, <laughs> it's the best device ever to find out information from, from someone um, in a really like urgent way. So um, the thing that I really like about this page is that the computer screen just says password question mark on it, um, and then with a couple of guesses, they're in. Um, they're into everything, and. Uh, and uh, um, Night Owl and Rorschach get the information they want from uh, Osmandius, who isn't as smart as he sounds, um, with his with his choice of password. But hey, um, that's why I like that page. Nice, funny, fucking typical 
Billy Lowe. <laughs> um, so final score. There's a really good panel in it as well. Like the fifth panel in is a panel of night owl just like, just having like a real think about the password. <laughs> he's like, he's got his finger to his lip and he's like, hmm, what could this password be? Oh, panel seven as well. Another thinking, another thinking shot. Make sure your password is good, everyone. Because yeah. Bill's going to come around and fucking hack the shit out of you. <laughs> he's going to have a couple of things and he's going to hack you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, the pa panel number five when he's thinking about the... Fucking <laughs> hell, he's still talking about the thinking face on panel five. Oh. He should have reminded me, Mr. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Just the past word question mark and he's just having a real good think. What could it be? Um, anyway, that's it for me. What's, what's the answer, by the way? Um, Ramesses the second. Um, yeah. FYI, that is the graphic reading password. Good luck logging into that. <laughs> anyway, so on to so on to scores. So I'm going to go first because you know tradition is that it's uh, my book in theory. So we always start with the person's book it is, and um, I think it's pretty obvious what Bill and Leader will give this book. But I will give this book. On first read, I'll give this book a solid seven. Not, yeah, I don't know. I think at certain moments I found it quite slow, if I'm honest. And uh, when you say slow, though, like, do you mean just, do you mean like that it was a bit of slog for you? Like, like for example, when you got to the pages which like weren't comic books, and you actually. Just, just like read some. Oh, do you know what? I, actually, um, at times I preferred those pages. Just like, oh. No, at times, okay, at times I really preferred down. those pages. I think yeah, at times, I think for me in a way, there were certain times when I just found actually just like the paneling just quite, quite um, there was a lot going on. There's there's loads of dialogue all over, and I usually quite like a lot of dialogue, but there's loads of dialogue all over the paneling. Um, so yeah, with the paneling, and it was just and because there were so many panels, I think at times I just found it a bit. I do I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses but like I've had a bit of a weird month to be honest for certain things I kind of just feel like I was in the right headspace for a big heavy for, for a big book as well but um, so that's sort of why I, but I definitely I would say I, I get it with this book I get why it's so big it's not like I've kind of, it's not like I'm walking away from it thinking like this book's crap or it's just like you know, you understand why it's so seminal. Yeah, and I think, and and I and I and I, and I think what it is is, so going back to the, a question which I asked previously about whether or not you felt that initial connection with the characters, I didn't, and I and I, and I didn't feel invested at first. I felt obviously more invested towards the end, and this is why I definitely feel on a second read or even a third read because I already kind of have that knowledge on the characters. I would enjoy this book way more but just on my first read I'm like this was a good book I enjoyed it but you know it, it didn't sort of blow me away but but I'm like that with a lot of good books if I think back I know, I know we've referenced this book a load of times if I think to Saga you know Red Saga I was like yeah good book you know like yeah I enjoyed it but then when I then read it when I read the first trade the second time I was like god this book's amazing and then I then remember if I go back and read any of those trades, I love them because I because I've kind of already got that that understanding of who these characters are, so I pick up on more. I have no doubt in my mind that that would be the same 
second time I come to read this book, and I and I will read it again. I will read it again. Yeah, I I really want you to read it again because whilst personally I instantly just got straight into it and picked up on it. I I think they're mitigating circumstances that you mentioned, but I just feel like it is definitely worth like another read all attention and I, I love it so much we, there's so many things we haven't really mentioned like Bill was saying there like the, the, just the bits of prose like this is an excerpt from a uh, previous adventurer's memoirs this is a journal that the new night owl wrote this is uh, this, there's so many amazing bits mm. and we haven't even mentioned the comic book within the comic book which is the tales of the black freighter which is I would just love to read as a standalone comic, and that's the comic that the boy at the newsstand is reading with the pirates, and that is just an amazing comic within itself. So, can I ask a question on that, right? Because if I'm yeah. honest, I could have, I could have done without that at times. Oh shh! I think it's so important to the so story. So important to the story, it's yeah. It's important just from the sense that people have given up on superheroes and are now reading about pirates instead um, that's an important thing to get about society at that time and alongside that the way that it mirrors and reflects the actual story and what's happening um, is really important as well I think a lot of times it just adds an extra punch to like really important things um, so it would just be like this is like how this person feeling this is how bad this is or something like that it just kind of emphasizes certain points um, probably most importantly, though, um, is just the idea that um, pirates have replaced superheroes. That's how low superheroes have fallen in um, esteem um, with society. So just another question I, on I, that, and, ju- and just another quick question on that, and this is just that curiosity. When you read those comics within the comic stories, did you read, the, did you read it as it was presented to you in the panel with the actual dialogue of the main plot at the same time or did you kind of just read like the main plot dialogue and then go back to that first panel and then read the comic within the comic wording does that make sense so so a lot of it overlapped so yeah so did you read it as it overlapped or did you kind of read it because when because at first i read it overlapping but then when, when it came later on what i would do when i noticed it was coming i just i just read the actual main story wording and then i then just went back and then when i realized that actually the, the comic within the comic wording had stopped within that chapter i then then went back to that initial panel and started then just read all of that bits then i just kind of had it as a concern so when i first read it i just read it as the panels ran uh, a lot of testament there i think goes to the lettering because but the, it's it's done on like a little scroll when it's the tells of the black freight a bit mm. Uh, and I also thought it was really interesting how they used to overlap the Black Freighter text with what is the, the real life for the book uh, text, which I thought was really cool. But then obviously it's really good to just try and read the Black Freighter alone as itself, as like a standalone comic. And as Bill said, it's pretty much the book in microcosm, in, in a way. So that is just another faucet of how good the book is because there's again we mentioned before about all the different details that go just into but like, that's just the comic within the comic yeah. I read it in line and 
I, I loved, I like, on the last reading I did, I absolutely loved the Black Prater stuff. It was one of my favourites. So you like these things, Leader. Apparently, Tales from the Black Prater is also a, DV, a, a, com, a DVD, like a um, cartoon yeah, DVD. Yeah, I've got it. Is it good? Yeah, it's great. Hmm. I, I've also got the, the animated Watchmen book in its, in its entirety. I didn't realise that was Which is basically one. just the panels moving very slowly. Oh, is it? Yeah, I can let it to you if you want. It's sort of, uh, I think that the Tales of the Black Freighter comes with the, the Watchmen animated film. Right. Which, as I say, is, is just one person narrating the whole book, putting on silly accents. Okay. Uh, so it's not as great as it sounds. But it, uh, I can lend it to you, it's great. Well, it's alright, because you've always got the live-action movie by Zack Snyder to fall back on. Yeah, yeah. If I can't be bothered to read, I can just watch the exact same thing on, uh, on the cinema screen. Okay. That's it. So, um, so Gareth, you get seven. Yep. Bill. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be a, a ten, a strong ten. I would say like the probably like the uh, just like a sum up point. Maybe like the the kind of best like trick of the book is that um, you can like it's a very serious book, and sometimes a book can like be really, really serious and amazing, and because it's serious, and you have to like really dig into it, like things like trying to read like something like Ulysses or something which is like really, really hard and I've never like managed to do it but you know it'd be so rewarding if you just dedicated a bunch of time to it and then there's things like Jeffrey Brown or something which I just like or Chester Brown which you just love because it's like really easy and a bit kind of punk and you just like pick it up and it's successful I think this book has that like it like st- sort of straddles both in like a really clever way like if you want to get like a entire kind of perspective on life whatever by delving into these pages is there for you mm. if you just want to like quickly read through and skip all the Black Freighter stuff and skip all the news articles and prose and that type of stuff you'll have an 8 out of 10 comic book comfortably straight off the bat without even having to like, think about anything mm. it's accessible and at the same time you can just like plumb depths of like interesting um, themes and all different types of things um, it's, it, it's all in there so um, from that point of view it, it, it's a massive achievement just before you go on to your score, Leader, would it just a quick question, would either of you two read any of the Before Watchmen books? I've not, and I don't think I would, no. No. Because I, I don't, like, I don't really care about the backstory of these characters in a way. Like, that maybe seems like I don't care about the characters, I'm not true, it's just that I'm quite happy for this to be an island in a way and just live on its own, mm. you know? Fair enough. I don't think I don't think you really need the backstory. I think there's enough backstory in these books. I don't I don't need to know how the original Night Owl Hollis Mason is that him mm-hmm. became the Night Owl, mm. uh, and and especially if it's something that is just made up to fit into what is already a quality book. It, it is uh, and what it is is just a, a money spinner. Yeah. But yeah, I've got no interest in it. And with regards to my rating for the book, yeah, it's ten out of ten. I mean, I can't really add much more than what Bill said or what I've already, I've already, I've already stated already. It's, mm. it's great. And, and my highlight of rereading it recently uh, was was when we were speaking earlier, and I, I was saying about how in the back of a panel you just saw Rorschach, and you said you hadn't noticed that, Gareth. And then you're like, oh yeah, look, he is, isn't there? And, and that was great because that's what's so good about this book. Like mm. I've, we've read it between us, me and Bill, between the, the three of us, ten times. And I bet if we read it. Another ten times between the three of us, we would be able to point out different things to all three of us. Like, did you notice this on this page? Like, oh shit, no, I didn't notice that. And that's what I think is so cool about it. 
your favourite graphic novel of all time? Yeah, probably is actually. I, I don't think I'd ever tire of reading it, but it, it's it's of a type. I mean, I love, love, love Jeffrey Brown. Uh, as we've mentioned before, he he makes me cry. I love like this isn't an emotional read. No. It's it's deep and it's political, but also kind of silly and superhero at the same time. Whereas regards to Jeffrey Brown or Isabel Greenberg, things like that. They're more heart books, and I also love love a bit of heart and emotion. So, mm. yeah, I don't think I'd ever tire of reading this, and it's definitely a ten out of ten. And there isn't that many ten out of ten graphic novels that. But actually, if you listen back to this podcast, it's probably given about four ten out of ten. So, <laughs> who knows what the hell I'm talking about? But no, it's it's fantastic, and that's rightly why on the front cover of my copy it says it's in Time Magazine's hundred best novels, not graphic novels, just best novels. So I've got on my cover of mine as well. All right, it's well, a big selling point. It is. All right, well, we'll um, I guess we'll leave it there then for issue sixteen. So thanks very much, guys. Uh, to all the listeners, hope you've enjoyed Skype as much as we have. Um, so uh, before we, so remind me of what our next book is, Bill or Leader. I think we're going to read. Um, if that's right with you, Leader, uh, Moonhead and the Music Machine uh, Moon- by Andrew Ray and no- Oh, No Bro Press. Okay. No Bro press is the publisher um and you cool. so yeah that's great all right say that again though <laughs> uh yeah so we're going to read uh moonhead and music machine uh by andrew ray um and yeah it looks it's really really cool look forward to that cool all right well then um so until issue 17 uh thanks again for everyone listening remember subscribe to us on itunes tell your friends twitter facebook all of that um, but yeah, until then, it is goodbye from me. I have been Gareth Case. It's goodbye from Leader. Goodbye from me. I've been Christopher Leader. And goodbye from Bill. Goodbye.